The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Everyone who listens to these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and buffeted that house, but it did not collapse. It had been set solidly on rock. And everyone who listens to these words of mine but does not act on them, will be like a fool who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and buffeted the house, and it collapsed and was completely ruined. The Gospel of the Lord. Over these days of Advent, the readings that are chosen for our weekday Masses and our Sunday Masses as well are chosen because they all fit together in some way. And for one who would like to stretch his or her understanding of the Scriptures and to engage a little bit in the traditional way the Church has read the Scriptures for 2,000 years, it is a healthy exercise to one or two days a week to sit down simply with the readings and pay close attention to them and ask what the connections between the readings are, whether it's similarity of ideas, whether it's contrast, whether a promise is made in the first reading and fulfilled in the second, but there is a relationship between all of the readings in our liturgies of Advent as we move through this season. And it's a remarkable series of nested relationships that we have before us today with this powerful prophecy, this statement from Isaiah about the strong city, which is oddly large. We normally think of cities as being located within nations not as cities that contain nations. And yet it is open wide the gates to let in the nation that is just as we hear in our psalm. What a remarkable image that is on this idea of entry into a city, entry into a place that is well and solidly established is a note that Jesus picks up at the beginning of our gospel reading. But here he's putting down what the conditions of entry are. Know what he says. Not everybody who looks at me and says, Lord, is going to get into the kingdom of heaven. And note how this cuts against the grain of a certain shallow interpretation of Christianity that wants to say, if you call Jesus Lord, you're good. And here directly from his mouth is, that's not enough. The issue is, what does that word mean when you say it? 
In other words, there's a way of saying to Jesus, you're the Lord, which is empty, which is false, and which is death-dealing, and which actually shuts one out of heaven. And there is a way of turning to Jesus and saying, Lord, which is life-giving and allows one entry into heaven. Simply saying the word isn't enough. It's important then to figure out what it is that requires us to get it right. But note that, note that insistence. There are those who will call me Lord that I will lock out of the kingdom. And there are those who call me Lord that will get into the kingdom. Not everyone who says Lord will enter implies that some who say Lord are welcome. And then Jesus builds on this. If that's the case, how do we know who gets in and who doesn't? And at this point now, the Lord ships his imagery to that of a house that somebody is building. And know what he says. The one who listens to these words of mine and acts on them is the one who is like the man who builds his house on solid rock. And there's a double meaning lurking in this our readings imply today, because he's not just saying my word is a solid foundation, because our responsorial psalm is Psalm number 118, the great psalm of the resurrection of the Lord, which contains the word, we don't have them with us in the liturgy today, but in that psalm are the words, the stone rejected by the builders has become the cornerstone. Solid rock, the cornerstone. That one who would found his life on me does it not simply by calling me Lord, but by living the fact that I am a Lord. And what does that mean to recognize that Jesus is Lord? I recognize his authority. That means I seek to obey his word. A Lord commands his subjects. A Lord directs his subjects. It is one thing to say Lord. It is another thing to follow where the Lord would lead. It is another thing, then, to say, I will build my life around what you say to me, O Lord. And if I don't do that, my use of the word Lord is empty. It's meaningless. And note how at the beginning of the Gospel reading, he says, not everybody gets in, but only those who do the will of my Father. So what is doing the will of the Father? Hearing the words that I give you and acting upon them. Note the insistence on concrete action, concrete response. It is not enough, Jesus says, to know my teaching. It is not enough to look at me and say, you are the Lord, because if you recognize that I am the Lord, that demands that you do something. If you recognize that I am the one who has the words of life, then you have to do something with those words. 
Otherwise, you receive the word of life and you ignore it. And what good does that do you? And so Jesus here then says that one who is content to know what I say and not do anything with it is like that one. Like that one who in building a house for himself, a place where he will live for the long term, builds it on sand. There is no real cornerstone. There is no real foundation. It rests on nothing. It rests on complacency. It rests on refusal to change. It rests on a certain presumptuous arrogance. Jesus is Lord, so I'm good. Jesus loves me, so I'm good. Jesus saves us all, so I'm good. And yet note what the Lord says. I do all those things, but you're not good until you respond. And so that one, that one who does not respond, that one who is content to rest in a false sense of safety, a false sense of security, to sleep peacefully in the house of presumption is that one who will experience ruin. And note over Advent how we hear statements of the trials that come before the end of all things. So note what the Lord says here. Both of those houses the house of the one who built on the true and living cornerstone, and the house of the one who founds his house on the shifting sands of complacency, both of them will experience the trial because the storm comes to everybody. Both houses will experience the storm. The winds will rage and buffet the house. The floodwaters will rise. The rains will come. Note how he speaks. Not they may come, but they will come. Trouble will come. Something will come to shake those homes. And what that is is the test, the trial. And that trial comes, why? To prove which is the well-built house to show forth clearly and directly whose life is founded and built on the cornerstone and whose isn't. And know what the evidence is. The evidence is one survives the trial and one collapses into nothing. To the eye, both are houses. And as we all know, Oftentimes, it's the beachfront property that is much more expensive. And yet, it is also the beachfront property that is much more exposed to the storm. And so here, the Lord speaks. If all we do is look when the sun is out, it might be that the house built on sand is the better one, the more appealing one, the pricier one, the more attractive one. But the sunny day isn't the measure of the quality of the building. The quality of the building is what happens when the storm comes. And what is the house that will survive? What is the house that will last? 
And the proof of the quality is that when the difficulty comes, when the trial comes, when the test comes, one remains standing. What a remarkable example that is. And the key to surviving the trial, the key to standing strong within the storm, the one who hears my word and acts upon it. And that reminder then that Jesus doesn't speak simply to satisfy our curiosity. Jesus doesn't speak to entertain us or merely to inform us. He speaks to empower us to a certain way of living. And he expects that we respond and then live accordingly. And now we go back to our first reading again. This image of the two houses, one that survives the storm and one that collapses into ruin. Because what do we see in the first reading? There's the strong city. Opens its gates to let in the nation that is just. Found it firm, that city. And then what do we hear? This city that receives the city of God. This city to which the people of God are called and toward which they move is contrasted by another city. Note what we hear. The lofty city, the proud city, the dramatic city, the city that sets itself above others. Another place. What is a city? It's a place of many houses, a place where many dwell. And just then, like the houses, of the individuals that Jesus is speaking of in the gospel, there are two cities. There is that one city well-established and firm that contains a nation that is just. And there is another city, a lofty city, at first glance perhaps the more important city, and there are many houses there. And there are many who dwell there. And there are many who seek that city too. And what do we hear? The Lord brings that one low. And it's not just that he lowers its altitude. He brings it to nothingness on the ground. That the arrogant city where all too many make their home morally and spiritually and personally is a city that in the end likewise will come to ruin because its loftiness is the loftiness of a sandcastle and nothing more. But now as we hear that, there's a note, a very important note at the end of that reading from Isaiah, which is important for understanding Advent and the expectation of a Savior. And it's one that we often neglect in our prayer and in our preaching. Note the destiny of the proud city. It is trampled under the feet of the poor and the needy. It's a chilling image on the one hand, and yet an important one that speaks of the expectations of the people of God. 
because our world is a world that has no small amount of injustice. And our world is a world that has no small amount of neediness and poverty and refusal to address that. And so it was at the time of Isaiah the prophet as well. And one of the great longings of the people of God was for that ruler to come who would defend the poor, who would address the neediness of the land, who would not enrich himself off of the people, but rather lift those who were lowly and cast down up, who would find the forgotten ones, not simply the lost sheep who wandered away in sinfulness, but the sheep who is lost because society has simply forgot about him. And so there's this image now in Isaiah of the poor and the needy streaming toward the city of God for relief. An army of the poor, a great crowd of the poor, all of the numerous poor of the world and the needy of the world suddenly moving toward the one, the one who could lift them out of their poverty. And as they walk, they walk over the ruins of the proud city that the Lord has cast down. What a remarkable image that is. What a remarkable image that is. This image that the city that set itself up over the weak, and over the little ones, over the wounded and the broken ones, in the end will pass. And those same poor, those same wounded, those same broken will still have life and will still move. And they will move toward that city, firmly established that lets in a nation that is just. What a remarkable image that is. And it is important that we don't neglect these aspects of the scriptures these elements of the Word of God because they are part of our expectation for the Lord. And this is in no small measure the Lord himself instructing us with regard to the kind of world, the kind of salvation he is moving us toward. But note we have the arrogant city that comes to nothing, the city founded and established by the Lord, that has ample room for the many of the needy, the many of the afflicted, the many of the poor. And in the scriptures of Advent, there is an awful lot of movement. And a lot of the movement, if we pay close attention to our Old Testament readings, is exactly that. It is the surprising movement of the lame who suddenly can walk again. It is the movement of those who have been cast aside who suddenly are called and invited. It is the movement not of the few who are rich and successful. It is the movement of the many who are not and who turn to the Lord in no small measure because they know their need for him. So it is the little one, the humble one, the one who turns to the Lord first in that need and that desire and then who responds. What a remarkable series of images in our readings today. And what runs through all of them is that Christ himself is the cornerstone. 
The true city of God is founded on Jesus Christ. It has no other foundation. The true foundation of the spiritual household of the heart is Jesus Christ. There is no other cornerstone upon which to build. But building on the cornerstone means a lot more than saying, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. That's nice. It's good to say that. We need to say that. But more than saying it, we need to live it. And living it, the Lord says, involves something very concrete. To hear these words of mine and to act on them. To receive them and to do something with them. It's a pretty simple message in the end. A pretty clear instruction, but it takes a lifetime to learn how to live it. And fortunately, though, we can do that here. Where we don't just hear these words, but we can come forward to him and stretch out our hands. And we stretch out our hands to that one who is the true cornerstone of salvation. The true cornerstone of our hearts. The true cornerstone of the church. And in receiving him, we are invited to found our lives ever more securely upon that foundation stone. As often as we gather here, note how wonderful that is. However much the shifting sands upon which my selfishness has caused me to build my house come crashing down, I can come here, stretch out my hands, and be about rebuilding. However much my building does remain against the storm, I can always strengthen it by founding it more securely, more thoroughly upon that great cornerstone. How wonderful it is. It's imagery we don't often use for the Blessed Sacrament, but we really do stretch out our hands to that cornerstone upon which the Lord says, found your lives, and your lives indeed will be well-founded. And you will be those who are in that nation of the just that receive entry into the kingdom of heaven. Amen.